The Talking to Ourselves podcast is brought to you by The One Club, the world's leading nonprofit organization recognizing creative excellence in advertising and design. Hey, coming to you from JSM Music, I am Omid Farhang, Chief Creative Officer at Momentum. Today, my guest, Jerry Graff, founder and CCO of Barton F. Graff. From his work at BBDO to Goodby to Shiat to Saatchi, there are few more legendary and decorated creative minds in our industry than Jerry. In the late 90s and early 2000s, he created work for Snickers and Skittles that birthed a new comedic genre of television advertising that lives on today. AdAge named three of Jerry's commercials to their list of the 20 best Super Bowl ads of all time. And in 2007, they named him the most awarded creative director in the world. In 2010, Jerry launched his own agency, Barton F. Graff. The agency has been on the A-list ever since. In 2014, Barton was named Midsize Agency of the Year by the 4As, and Jerry was named to Fast Company's list of the 100 most creative people in business. Business Insider called him the most creative man in advertising. Newsweek called him one of the new Don Drapers. Today, Barton F. Graff is now the fastest growing independent agency in America. This is Jerry Graff and I talking to ourselves. Where are you from and what did your parents do? Where am I from? Uh, I am from Lexington, Massachusetts, uh, where this wonderful country started, Battle of Lexington and Concord. Yeah. And I know that because um, every April 19th, my parents would wake us up at four in the morning to go watch the reenactment. Yeah. So, that so was, did you ever get to participate in any reenactments? No, my little brother was like, was a drummer once, yeah. like, uh, you know, I don't know, did, did some parade type thing, but I never did. One thing I always noticed is, like, uh, Lexington lost that battle. That always confused me. They had to go to Concord and then win. Uh, anyway, my my um, my mom was a nurse. Uh, for most of my uh, growing up, she, she worked at a nursing home, and she worked from 11 at night till 6 in the morning so she could be home. Uh, to see your kids uh, go to school, and then she would go to sleep, and then she would wake up when we got home and stuff. Uh, and my dad uh, was a semiconductor salesman. He worked at like Raytheon and Motorola, uh, places like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Arizona. That's where the largest uh, Raytheon factory is. So there you go. There's, yeah, there's one in Lexington actually. Yeah. If I was to ask 12 year old Jerry Graff what the big master plan was, what what would he have told me? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I was 12, maybe like 14 or 15, but I always, like growing up outside of Boston, I, A, I wanted to live in the city. I hated suburban life. And uh, I wanted to work in the Hancock building, which is like one of the two big buildings in in Boston. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted, I thought I would be successful if I had a job in that big, tall building. That you was, just wanted to be the important man. I, I Not even a window office. I just thought if... I didn't know what they did in there. I think I know they, there was some insurance going on, but that I, would, I just thought, wow, that's like a really awesome building. And if I was work, I had a job in there, I, I would probably be successful. That's humble beginnings from which to attend Notre Dame University. You must have been yeah. a pretty good student. I was okay. I wasn't great. Uh, back in the eighties. Like uh, lineage played a bigger part getting into into colleges. So my dad went to Notre Dame, and my dad's brother, who I'm named after, was a genetics professor in Notre Dame. 
So I was an okay student, but I had that behind me. So you're far from the most accomplished of the graphs. Yeah. uh, You know, going in, being named after a genetics professor uh, was tough. I went in as pre-med. Yeah. And that lasted about a, a year and a month. So you get out of school. Are you aware of advertising at this time? Uh, yeah, my 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 late senior year, we went up to Chicago because it's like an hour and a half away, yeah. and I went to an agency. I, I forget the name of it. They, I think they had created the first like Gatorade campaign, and I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. And I had a friend who went to BU, which is a you know Boston University, which is a great communication school, and she was telling me like about advertising, and um, I, I was writing for a, uh, a comedy review at Notre Dame, um, and I had never done anything creative before, uh, never wrote anything, never read a book I didn't have to read or anything like that, and I, I don't know, it just came naturally writing skits about Catholics, Yeah, kind of easy. So I, I, I thought maybe I could do something in writing, and she told me about advertising and uh, kind of stuck in my head. Um, but when I graduated, um, I, uh, a friend of mine in Lexington, his brother lived in Venice Beach, California, and owned an extermination business. And he's like, hey, you want to go to Venice Beach, California, and live in my brother's garage and you know, kill rats and get paid under the table? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so my parents were just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So I got in a car with, with John Wardwell, and we drove out and... And I did that for uh, six months, I think, and didn't really like rats that much, and uh, came back to Boston uh, and got what my dad called a real job, because I told him I was interested in writing, and that wasn't a real job. Uh, so I, I got a job, because if, you, if the Boston financial community is back then was all Irish, and I went to Notre Dame, so it was easy to get a job in finance. I got this job at this tiny little discount stock broker company, Barry W. Murphy Investments, and got my Series 7 and my Series 63, and I wrote trade tickets all day. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what the alternate universe looks like where you just stuck with that and sort of accepted that a career doesn't necessarily have to bring any feelings of <laughs> happiness or fulfillment? Uh, I don't think, I don't, you know, I don't think... That alternate universe opened up for me because I was I was I would I really tried you know I went and got like Brooks Brothers suits on sale at Filene's basement and tried to do the whole thing and uh, I was I was not good at it um, and luckily I really hated it I was working at Fidelity Investments and it was just like oh Jesus uh, and then I I actually I I had a conversation with myself in Boston Common I was waiting for my my girlfriend, who's my wife now, to get out of work. And I'm like, I hate this. And I'm like 24. And it's way too early to, to like really despise what you're doing. Yeah. So you might as well try to do, you know, you have to give it a shot. So I'm like, what do you like? I liked writing. What can you do? I don't know. Moved to Los Angeles with my girlfriend. Um, very, like, very quickly got all my Hollywood like dreams were, were just it was just it was horrible out there I think I wrote 
a uh, Simpsons spec script or something like that, and was, there was just nothing. And then my friend back home who went to BU, she kept telling me, you should do advertising, you should do advertising. So yeah. I kind of got into that. Your, your dad um, your dad said writing wasn't a real job when you told him you were going to go out to L.A. and strike it rich as a, as a, as a screenwriter. Um, I'm, I'm sure that didn't go great. Was there a, do you remember a point where you realized that like your parents' approval couldn't be part of your, um, your criteria? I'm a, I'm a middle kid. So my parents' approval was was never that like big a thing, and I do think it's because I'm a middle kid. I, I don't know. I just even my my middle girl um, doesn't care that much about what I have to say. There's something I don't know. Well, the first kid learns that if you eat your vegetables and get good grades, that you'll get the all the validation you've ever wanted. Yeah. The second kid learns that if you eat your vegetables and get good grades, the best you can do is tie this motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. But if you do it a completely different way, you can yeah. get a whole different type of and then attention. The, and then, you know, I, I had an older sister and a younger brother. So, like, there's the sister and there's the, there's the daughter and the son. And I'm like, oh, this is this is good. And then the other son comes and I was like, wait, wait, what? 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 What's going on here? Yeah. So, like, the, the, the whether you're, you know, daughter or son, the oldest, yeah, you follow the way and you're golden the youngest you'll always be taken care of because you're the baby right you can basically do anything you want and then the middle middle child is like is the oh i'm over here i'm over here <laughs> yeah. i bet if we did a poll of like advertising creatives like the, the majority would be middle kids who just want to be recognized look what i did i painted a picture yeah <laughs> you know so you're in la and all of a sudden from kind of dreams of hollywood to advertising starts to Starts to become an option. Yeah, look, look, look like a, a, a way to get a creative job that yeah. wasn't completely impossible. Yeah. It looked impossible, but it, it wasn't completely impossible. Yeah. And I started, you know, taking night classes and learning how to put a portfolio together, and meeting, calling, calling every agency in in LA, and uh, I eventually, after about a year and a half, I think I had a portfolio that was good enough uh, to get me a job in New York. That was BBDF? No, no. I started at Saatchi. They had some intern writing program thing in like 91, 92. Uh, and I was there for about 10 months. And then I went to Wells Ridge Green, uh, founded by Mary Wells, but she wasn't there anymore. Um, and that place was like going out of business when I got there. I remember... The first three months I was at Wells, they lost IBM, Continental Airlines, and MCI, which I think MCI is now Verizon. But anyways, and we all would just like lock ourselves in our doors, and we thought if you didn't see us, you wouldn't fire us. <laughs> and then I went to BBDO. You talk about while at BBDO, a seminal moment in your career was um, as a young writer at BBDO when you decided to go rogue. What does that mean? Um, well, it might be going back to, to being the middle kid and not listening to my parents. Um, my, uh, my partner and I, Dave Gray, we were working on Snickers and, uh, we thought we had something really good and we showed our creative directors and they, uh, they didn't like it. They killed it and said, go back and do more work. And we were like, eh, I don't think they know what they're talking about. And it was just a set of circumstances. It was a Sunday and everybody went home and we stayed we were kind of working, kind of just messing around, and um, unscheduled for no reason, the ECD came in that on Sunday, and we were the only ones there, and he asked us if we had anything. 
and my partner and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, just looking at each other's eyes, you know, we're like, we could get fired for this, but we showed them the idea that we liked that our CDs didn't like. And we sold it and it became something really good. Did your memory of, uh, uh, did that memory ever come back to you later in your career when perhaps a creative team went rogue on you? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it happened. I was, I was at Goodby Silverstein running E-Trade and, uh, Rich Silverstein called me up and he's like, I just saw E-Trade work. I'm like, who showed you E-Trade work? And it was the team below, you know, who was working for us. And he's like, why are you sending me this crap? <laughs> and uh, I was like, what? And I found out that the team that was showing us work did the same thing that I had done, you know, at BBDO. Uh, they just didn't have good work. So, so you obviously fired them. I was nice. I, I did not fire them. I was not in a place to fire them. I, I, I sat them down and I, and I said that, you know, when I was in your position and I thought I had something good and my CDs didn't like it, I went over their heads and showed it to the ECD and, and uh, made a great campaign. Um, unfortunately for you, you didn't have a good idea. Um, so you're never going to work on E-Trade again. And that great, by the way, that great campaign that you went rogue on, uh, was Snickers correct? Yeah, it was Snickers. Yeah, I'm going to test your memory. It's um, I'm not sure if this was the specific spot, but it's <laughs> there's a guy and he's doing the he's doing the the paint in a uh, at the Kansas City Chiefs football field, um, and he realizes that instead of spelling out Chiefs, he spells out chefs. Yep. And then he says, "Great googly moogly." You know, I ask you that because before I even knew this was a profession, I remember seeing that. And I've been saying great googly moogly for like <laughs> by 20 years. So that's the power of advertising. Yeah, yeah. That was just like uh, – that, that wasn't in the script or anything. That was I had just happened to be watching um, Sanford and Son the night before we shot. And that Grady said that to Fred when he was like uh, excited about something. Do you remember what the original line was and great googly moogly was an alt? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was not a good line. I, I think it was like like holy schnickers or something like that. And I'm, uh, the directors Brian Buckley and Frank Todaro, they were a directing team back there. Yeah. I remember them going, "That's that's like a BBDO line. We need something better." And that that's when it, I'm like, "Oh, I thought I was at BBDO. I thought BBDO was like the greatest place in the world." But they just totally dissed it with that with that comment. So. You have three of Ad Age's top 20 all-time Super Bowl spots. Um, so seeing your own commercials on TV is routine to you by now, but I'm wondering if there's a sort of distinct brand of anxiety to watching a Super Bowl spot that you wrote. Um, there's, there's not that much anxiety. I, um, you know, most, most of the time, if, if, if I'm good with it, uh, and I know we've put all the work into it, and we've gone back and reworked it, and you know, just just a lot of effort to make make the best thing possible. Um, whether it's successful in the popularity contest that is the Super Bowl, you can never call those things. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I hope I don't get into too much trouble. Um, that's a little, you know, a little bit of an anxiety because I like to, you know, push people's buttons and stuff. Yeah. Now having done this for a while, I assume I hope I don't. I hope I don't get into too much trouble. Is sort of the feeling you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Notice I didn't say I hope I don't get into trouble. Right. I said I hope I don't get into too much trouble because you want to cause a little bit of, you know, 
something. Sure. Um, you just brought up Jeff Goodby. You've worked for some of the greats in our industry in various capacities. Jeff, Lee Clow, uh, many others. Are are there one or two mentors in particular that you find yourself sort of drawing inspiration from as you grow your own company now? Um, yeah. Uh, I still uh, stay in touch uh, with Rich Silverstein. I was a rich guy. When you're a Goodby Silverstein, you're either a Goodby guy or a rich guy because they kind of split the accounts. And I, I was a rich guy. Um, I'm really good friends with Jeff now. Um, we weren't that close when I worked for him. Um, Jeff was, Jeff was actually the, uh, the person, the, the person I, I, I was in San Francisco and, and I saw him and he, he's like, you know, I've been thinking about you. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I think you should start an, an agency just out of, out of nowhere. And I was actually thinking about doing it and I had been in some preliminary discussions. Um, so Jeff actually, Jeff and my wife, I credit with like getting me off the couch and going to do it. But Rich was always, Rich was my, my guy at, um, at Gooby Silverstein and I stay in touch with him and, uh, and I'm still in touch with Lee Clow when, you know, when, you know, I have questions and things are going on, um, trying to build uh, a design department, you know, Lee Clow's a good person to call, you know, he picks up my, my you know, he, he picks up my calls every once in a while. Yeah. So I, I have awesome relationships uh, with people I used to work for. I usually don't have good relationships when I work for them. Why is that? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm a, a pain in the ass. Yeah. Lee, are you, are you insubordinate? Um, Lee Clow's, Nickname for me was the petulant child, you know. Yeah. You know, he called Chuck McBride Chuck, and then get <laughs> tell the petulant child that we're going to be doing this. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, yeah, well, I've you know, yeah, I guess I am. I mean, I I got my my first big campaign sold by not listening to my creative directors, um, and that campaign got me to Goodby Silverstein. So. Why should I stop? Right. The thing that the, the, the first most important lesson that was reinforced to you uh, <laughs> yeah. is hard to is hard to dispose of as you start to elevate the ranks. Yeah. Um, prior to starting BFG on several occasions, you were named the most awarded or, you know, the most awarded creative on the planet and this and that. A lot of stuff that I'm sure felt um, really great and really validating. Do you. Well, let me ask it a different way. You knew instantly that as a person in finance that you were an imposter and that wasn't going to work for you. Did you have to work through any feelings in your early career that you might be an imposter in advertising? And, and what was it that external validation that, that, um, or eventually, um, dissipated that for you or, or does just time go by and you don't feel that anymore? Um, I was horrible when I was putting my portfolio together, like just puns everywhere. And, you know, Getting a job at Saatchi and Saatchi back in '91 w- was like not very validating because the advertising I was doing was was not very good. And at Wellsridge Green, I, I always thought I was I was I sucked. And I would look at the award show annuals and not really even knowing how they got to start thinking about you know and I- ideas like that. And um, I was just pushing myself and trying to trying to learn and do better and do better and do better. Um, and I, I think when we, we after, you know, when I got the Snickers campaign going and, um, 
you know, I would throw Brian Buckley in there with a mentor as well. You know, we met back when he was directing the first round of Snickers and, and he had just come off of creating, um, it was just creating Sports Center, which when it started was massive. Also created a genre. Yeah, yeah exactly. With Hank Perlman and, and Frank Todaro. Um, so, so I started to know what great advertising was and know that I, I wasn't very good at it. So uh, it just made me work harder. Um, and then being at the t- kind of like at the, you know, at a top creative at BBDO, and which had a lot of great creatives, but it had a lot of mediocre creatives, too, because there's like hundreds of people in the creative department mm. and going to Goodby Silverstein. I remember I went out to San Francisco first and I called my partner and I said, don't bring your trophies to the office, nobody, nobody does the the shelf display thing around right. here because everybody at Goodby uh, was awesome and everyone had all the awards. Uh, and I was I was like really nervous and scared. And it took me a a year to sell anything. And I thought I, I again I'm back to the bottom again. And I and I and I sucked. Um, uh, I don't know every every couple of years, you know, I, you know, you, I, I, I figured out how to be a copywriter and then you get put, you know, thrown into creative director and I'm, I was a horrible creative director for a while. And then I kind of, kind of figured it out. And then you get, th- and then I got a job at, at Shiat as, uh, as the ECD, as the head of the whole department. And I didn't know how to run a, a department. I knew how to run seven people. Yeah. Um, and then feeling I was going to fail at that again. Uh, luckily, when I when I think I'm horrible at something, it just makes me work work harder. Um, and then you know, through the years, having all those kind of experiences of oh wow, I nailed this, but I'm doing something new, and I'm horrible at it, and working up and figuring that out. Um, now I now I know not to get too afraid when I don't think I can do something. That I just apply myself, work hard, you know, be around the right people, and learn a new skill. Yeah, you know. You know. 10, 15 years ago when digital started coming in and I only knew how to do TV. I had my freak out again there and then you just try to figure it out. And again, you bring talent and you learn from them and stuff like that. So, um, you know, every every couple of years I move into something new and I, I get nervous, but I don't freak out anymore because it's just been kind of a pattern. Right. Yeah, and I would have to think that crescendos when you start your own company. I mean, you were CCO at Saatchi, is that right? Yeah. And, you know, it's like you've got hundreds of teams showing you work and someone's booking your travel yep. and the there's, furniture smells of rich mahogany. And all of a sudden it's there's like a cafeteria, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have yeah. car services and stuff, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And then you start a company and like, did you is your first realization like just how soft your hands are and that you're going to have to develop some calluses if you're to survive this thing? Yeah, that's that's a good way. That's a good way to put it. I uh you know, I, I started without a partner. I started without a client. I just left and tried to do it. Um, but again, um, from the past, uh, I, I learned that admitting what you don't know how to do and in, in reaching out and asking people for help uh, is okay, you know, um, and just calling people up and say, I have no idea how to do this, you know. I remember a long time ago calling um, Colleen DeCourcy up and say, hey, I've got this 
assignment and it's it's a it's a little video but it's there's a lot of social stuff and and I'm kind of clueless and and she she came over for a couple of days and kind of worked through it I'm like oh okay I kind of get the gist of it now so just asking for help almost every day when I started my agency not just for like you know working on different types of media but uh uh I didn't know how to charge clients you know what do you you know I'd never done that before I just make ideas um, and calling Droga up and saying, I don't know like how to charge for this. And he set me up with his CFO and showed me how to do that. Wow. Were you surprised at how generous people were with sort of their forthcomingness and, and of information? Um, I, I was at in the beginning. I was. Um, you know, I, I had lucky enough to judge some award shows and, and, and be in the same room with like a Drogo or a Colleen or somebody like that and getting to know them. And, um, and, uh, you know, when I, you know, David was another person who said you should start an agency. Um, and he, he, he's like, if you need any help, just call. So I'm like, good, I, I, I have that, you know, I'm very, yeah. very fortunate to, um, you know, have somebody like him offering help. Uh, it was it was strange in the beginning, but I did notice at first. I thought it was in New York, but it might be a, a bigger thing that the 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 new breed of agencies. Um, everyone seems to help each other. Uh, it was you know, it, I I started noticing that my first my first year or two, people would go out of their way to help me, and now I try to do the same thing. And I remember just thinking that. I don't think like I don't know. I don't think Jay Walter called Ogilvy up and said, "Hey, can I can I right. can I look at your books? Can you show me how you charge? Can you show me your rate card?" I don't I don't I don't think that was going on, but who knows? But there's a really really good environment um, in advertising for the past five or six years with the like the new agencies that are kind of kind of starting. It's got to be an incredible feeling eight years later to be on the other end. Of yeah. That. Yeah. My friend, Paul Cayoza, who started an agency, I know you've done that for him and Paul even just him. supporting his work and social media and stuff. Like, yeah, I was going to say, like you realize just what a little bit of a, of a, um, you know, boost of confidence from someone who does it can do for you as, as kind of the most important rule when you're starting a company is like to just keep going, don't get discouraged, show up every day. I, I know from experience uh, starting something new, like the first year, every, like every day it feels like the whole thing could just fall apart. So any any boost of confidence uh, was always helpful for me. So, um, but, you know, you do awesome work, you do awesome work and, you know, he does it, you know. Um, you know, I know, uh, Lisa Clooney and Jamie from, from Joan. Um, and, uh, it's awesome to see them, them cranking, you know, I, you know, was, was really good friend. I am really good friends with Lisa and she told me what she was doing. You know, I didn't have much help to offer. I think just, she just wanted to tell somebody she was going to open an agency. I'm like, well, good, do it. You know? Yeah, sometimes the help you provide is just saying like, yeah. you should do that. They're, you know, people yeah. are looking for signs, and it's like someone yeah. who's successful, who I admire, says that they think I should do that. They wouldn't say that unless they thought I was talented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and especially when you're doing something like that, it's like even if you fail, who cares? It's like you know how many thousands and thousands of people. Oh, I should start an agency, and they just don't, and they go on with their, you know, their careers, and they just never actually tried to make the jump and everything. So I always tell everyone, just, just, just do it. You right. know. You're you're in an elite crowd if you if you even just go out and try even if it all it crumbles but it probably won't if you you know work yeah. hard. 
Well, and I mean, as you start start to think about the worst case scenario, it's like, so this won't work out. It'll be this massive failure, and they're not closing big agencies with big jobs. And the worst thing that happens is I just go back to one of them with a uh, more in-depth understanding of the part of the business that I've been shielded from as the person who just sort of strictly owns the creative product. Yeah, that's the healthy way to think about it. You know, you could also say I, I can just go back as a as a complete failure. Right. You know, that's probably my ego talking, but either way, you know, there's a there there's a net. Can you recall a specific moment where you remember sort of just the trials of youth, your ego running amok in a way that you look back on now with some embarrassment? Um, I always try and tried to tell myself that the award doesn't matter. Um, I've never been one to seek out assignments that, oh, this is going to, this is going to win it can. And I always try to tell myself that, um, it's a popularity contest. Uh, but I, I've, I've gotten caught up in in, in a couple of things. Um, it wasn't an award thing. It was actually, we, we, uh, we were at, I was at Shiat and we, we pitched Sprint, which was a massive account. Um, and we beat out, uh, um, I think it was Hal Reine at the time and we won. Um, and, um, Jay was like the CCO, Jay, Oh. Jay Goodman? Jay Goodman. Yeah. Jay Goodman was the CCO at uh, at Hal Reine. And I saw him in, at Cannes, and I was just like a complete, total asshole. And I think I went like, ha, you know, to, to, to his face. And it was it was just so sad. And then like three years later, Jay and I were on a, a advertising week panel. And um, – before the, the panel started, I interrupted and I said, I have to make a public apology for being a total, total asshole to you, Jay, when I saw you walking down the street in Canada and I apologize. And he, he said uh, he said he was going to think about accepting my apology. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did, though. Yeah. You know? That's a beautiful – it's like that obviously stayed with you and, you know – you. Yeah, it's like, oh, man. You yeah. know, you just every, – everything you hate about this industry I became, right. you know. Um, so you start your own company and, you know, there's never a question about your ability to manage the creative process and to hire great creatives. Um, but as you said, there's a lot more to starting a company than the creative product. So, um, which part came least naturally to you as an entrepreneur? Which part did you feel like had the steepest learning curve for you? Um, the... The money stuff still kind of boggles my mind, even though, you know, I have a business degree from Notre Dame and I was a, uh, I had my Series 7. Right. Um, the way agencies are uh, charge for their for their services, just, you know, still um, not exclusively, but mostly on, on this hourly rate thing. And I just, I've, I've been, it's been seven years trying to like, you know, a figure that out or trying to get something. It just, it, I'm just, you know, I brought my CEO in to kind of, kind of figure that, figure that out. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to learn more and more about that. Um, and then it's the, um, you know, all I, all I ever had to worry about was my creative department. I never really worried about, um, any other department. 
um, you know, I, I've always had a great planner that I liked or an account person who you know is going gonna, is gonna to sell the work, but I, I never had to um, think about how each department kind of works with each other um, right. to, to make for the best environment so great ideas flow out of you and great ideas are sold. Um, and that's been a lot of my learning over the past seven years is, is creating, you know, creating an, an entire place, not just a, not just a creative department that right. works well together. And just cause your name is on the door, it doesn't mean that you need to be the guy walking around the office telling people to complete their timesheets. Cause yeah. if you're doing that, it, it undermines your ability to do the other thing that you're actually there to do. Yeah. 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 Um, but your name is on the door, presumably your clients, come to BFG because um, they want you, you know, they want a piece of you. There's obviously a lot of people who work there. Um, but do you ever have circumstances where clients are roping you in to be the day-to-day creative director in a way that can kind of hamper your ability to be a big picture person? Um, yeah, that's that's a, a, a lot of my time is how involved I get with with each each client, um, and not just clients wa- want me, wanting me on the day to day stuff, but all the other day to day stuff uh, that goes on at the agency, um, just takes away um, takes away time for me just to think, you know, or, you know, think on uh, a brand I'm working on think on where where I want the agency to go, solve problems that are going on in the agency. I just don't have any time time to think. So that's that's a constant battle um, to stop that. Um, I, I I still enjoy the creative uh, process. Um, but I but I do know that if I look back in my last 10 years as a CCO or an ECD, like the biggest successes have when I've actually stepped away and let the the day-to-day teams really craft something. Great. So I, 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 I'm involved in like initial briefs if we win if we win an account or something like that and we're trying to get up, you know, trying to come up with the with the the, the brand idea, the positioning or or the initial campaign. I'm I'm involved in the beginning. I I, I just really in, enjoy it. Um, and then once that's solved I kind of step aside yeah. as best I can. Sometimes I just get involved because it's fun, but I do know it's not fair for me. To be just floating around, giving each brief, you know, a half an hour of my time when the team, when the group of people who are, you know, showing me work have been working on it for for weeks right. and weeks, and I'm just like, oh, shut, you know, okay, I'm not on uh, Little Caesars anymore. I'm on Supercell right now. I'm not, on, I'm not on this. I'm not on that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you answers in half an hour. Uh, that are as good as the answers that you have you've had for you know, like I said, thinking on it for like two, three weeks or something like that. Yeah, there are merits to fresh eyes, but um, you you also, I'm sure, can remember, you didn't need to start your own company to remember a time when someone who wasn't intimately involved in in how a team arrived um, at a solution, you know, showed up and didn't have all the information and sounded like a jackass yeah. as a result. Yeah, I mean, the, the best things we've done in seven years, um, we... We we have time for like long conversations. Uh, the t- you know the the planning department you know does a lot of research and, and work works on the brief. The, I work I help 
on the briefs and Jeff does and now some 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 CDs work in the briefing process and then the creatives go off and they think and they think and they think and then they you know show work to the ECD and stuff like that but then we always get back together again and we right. always make time I've got like 12 chairs in my office um, and we all just sit and the best things that we've done you know come from like following that process and just having like long conversations on on what's going on are you are you careful about what client meetings you show up to just knowing that like if you're going to save the day on tuesday that means you're going to need to be there on thursday and next monday like you don't show up once and save the day and once you start showing up to those things it can be incredibly difficult to then extricate yourself yeah no i I try to you know when i when i show up um it's it's usually just just to like push it over the 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 kind of the finish line you know um, if, if, if I'm going in to, to save the day, that means that the people working on it um, didn't learn how to save the day, right? Um, and you need that experience. But sometimes isn't it just a matter of like a CMO wants you to show up yeah, and, and like give it the final green light just to have that confidence that, yeah. that you were part of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's, that's easy to do. Uh, show up at a meeting – um, or just, you know, make, make a phone call, but you do, you do have to balance that with the, um, creative directors and, and group creative directors kind of, you know, learning how to, to finish a sale themselves. Yeah. Can't do it too many times. Are you good or have you improved at cultivating relationships with CMOs? Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I never liked doing that stuff. I, I was like, even as like ECD, of uh, of shy it. I was just like, let let me go come up with the idea, and then and then you guys do it. Um, uh, and then slowly I learned that they actually want a relationship with with the with the creative people with the top creative person. Um, we wouldn't have sold Skittles if I didn't have a relationship with the North American president of of candy from Mars. Um, and then when I started the agency, I, I did have to push myself, force myself out of my kind of creative shell to, to just pick up the phone um, and stay in touch with CMOs and CEOs. Uh, and I found it, you know, it was, you know, that that's how you, you have trust. And when you the only way you sell something interesting is if they trust you. So that that's a skill I've had to, you know, not really a skill. I just had to force myself to do it because my, my nature is just to be kind of quiet and, and go off and, and think. Right. Um, the other, the other responsibility that comes with your name being on the door is that people are taking a lot of cues from you. Um, first of all, can you feel that? And as a result, do you feel like you have to sort of maintain this buoyant optimism even when things get tough or do you do you allow your um your colleagues to see you frustrated or see you depleted because because surely that happens uh it it happens a lot and i i do need to keep up appearances uh in an office we had before the one we're at now in madison i just had a you know a big glass you know wall with a door on it so everybody could could look right right in and uh um i remember my my seat I, yeah we're having a rough time you know we're getting ready to possibly lose like the biggest account and 
I remember my CEO uh, came in. He's like, um, everybody, everybody can see you, and everyone's looking at you. Put your hands in your face, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably that's probably not good for everybody. So uh, yeah, I do, I do. You know, it started as keeping up appearances, but it kind of changed from um, l- looking at the positives of, of of anything. So I just I try not to like let like tough news break me down because we've had a, like an incredible seven year run. We've had a lot of, you know, scares along the way, you know, clients leaving and this and that happening and we've we've overcome them. So um, it's after seven, eight years, it's partly, you know, you know, just stand up right, keep a good smile on your face. Um, but it's also become, you know, um, you know, we've gotten we've gotten past worse. Yeah. You know? it, it's one um discovery I've made in my first three years as a CCO is just like our faces do oh. a shitty job of concealing how we really feel. And I've got a, I've, I, I had a FedEx client once, uh, who told me he was Jerry, I would love to play poker against you. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you, you do, you do not hide your emotions very well. You know, sometimes you look at me like you're giving me the finger in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Okay, so but you do right. You know you do have to. Yeah, they, everyone looks at you, right? And that you're like, okay, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta like make sure everybody knows it's, it's all right. Yeah. You talked about the culture at Goodby, and you worked at BBDO, and you worked at um, at Saatchi. And one of the great things about working at different um, agencies is that you get to pick and choose some of the um, creative culture that you sort of import into your own company and, you know, you, you ideally can sort of um, pick and choose different elements that create a, a tapestry that creates your own culture. Was there anything that you admired from one of the companies that you worked at that for whatever reason just doesn't work at your company? Um, Shyatt was like really neat and clean. Uh, I think it came from Jay Shyatt and then with Lee's kind of, you know, aesthetic you know I always it always just looked great and uh, and I'm a slob uh, and people who work with me I don't know it's just messy and papers everywhere and those big blackboards with the stuff pinned on them and I really tried you know to uh, to like keep up appearances uh, and, and that it was just a massive failure so we, we have like house cleaning every couple of months but um, didn't really work from a senior role like an ECD or a CCO to being the founder of your own company. Does that significantly alter the way that you approach the salesmanship of an idea, or is it roughly is it roughly the same process? No, it's the same process. Um, I've always relied on uh, planners um, and strategic thinkers to. Uh, get me to the area where the, where the good ideas are. And then, um, explaining that I'm not doing something crazy right now. It's actually tied to this brief that the client, you know, um, signed off on. It's just, I'm just solving it in a way that you, you didn't think of, but I'm not just being nuts. I've always kind of anchored my, my thinking and my way to sell work to, uh, to planning. And we do that at, at Barton. Um, I've always had, um, well, not always, but when I've sold great work, I've had account people who know the business probably better than the brand managers. 
So, um, you know, we I, when I've sold great work uh, or what I think is great, uh, it 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 I make it as easy for the client as possible. That you know, oh, that that they've they've thought of everything. They're just coming up with an idea that maybe we wouldn't have done, but it's it's all coming from place that that we agree upon. So that we do the same thing at, at Barton too. You seem like a guy who, throughout your career, has been rewarded for trusting your gut instinct. And you talk about working with planners as the role of a planner shifts a little bit in the industry from kind of like capturing the zeitgeist to maybe sort of a more data-driven mm-hmm. approach. Do you ever feel like the gut instinct is under siege a little bit? I, th- I think it's always been under siege, you know? Like when I was coming up, the, the gut in- instinct was under siege by research and testing right. and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just used to it. You know, um, you know, as a as a creative director, you're basically paid for your opinion, right? You know, you were right more than than you were wrong, um, uh, and that's that that's your that's your gut. So I don't I don't know. It just it it's as difficult now as as it seems to me. It's always been right. It just comes in a new package now. Yeah, it's just called something different. Yeah. Um, in the transition from selling work to making work, and especially when you start your own company, you know, selling work is hard anywhere, um, and you want to you want to um, celebrate the little victories along the way, but you also don't want to take your eye off the ball for a split second because that might be the difference between making something great and making something that's just good or mm-hmm. mediocre. Do you have a, a, a certain mentality in the transition from the selling of something to the making of something? Yeah, uh, I think when you sell any idea, no matter what it is, you're um, about fifty percent of where that that idea is going to be. I've I've always continued to create in in the in the production end of it, um, and you actually have to um, sometimes be be more careful after you've sold something because I've, I've seen great things oh we sold it it's great and then you know you know great things you thought you were going to go make just slip away and, and die you know Lee Clow um, describes it as uh, as the idiot forest you have this wonderful idea and it's sold and now to get it made you have to take it through the idiot forest and that is you know, scared brand managers and lawyers and this and that who are – everyone's trying How to – How do you explain the idiot forest to your colleagues without <laughs> without them being concerned that they're part of the they're idiot forest? The, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, if I was talking to a client and I was talking about the idiot forest, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring up the right. part that – It's one, everybody but I, you. I wouldn't <laughs> talk about the tree that was – that that was him, you know. I wouldn't go over here and stuff. Uh, yeah, you really got to, you know – work as hard or harder than you did to get to the idea to see it through. Um, if you don't, it, it does come off uh, as mediocre. Um, and even if you've, you've, you've got talented people who've worked hours and hours to come up with something great, if they put that amount of effort in into the production uh, side of it, then just like that's when you're like in the stratosphere. That's when just wonderful, wonderful things things happen yeah when you're reviewing work with teams and your work is up on a wall um we talked about gut instinct do you do you know it when you see it like when you see something that that has potential to be great 
can you sort of feel a, sh- a shock wave through your body? And, and because people are taking cues from you, do you feel like part of the responsibility you have is to kind of permeate that feeling or let people know that like there's something to be excited about or, or, or is it a more restrained approach? No, I get excited. I get excited. I mean, it doesn't happen that many, that many times when something comes in, you're like, Oh, that, Oh my God, that's, that's the idea. Oh, that, that is fantastic. Um, but I, I, it's it's magic to me when it happens. It's like watching a magic trick. Somebody comes in with an idea, and I'm like, oh my god, how did you get there? And this is the idea, and and everyone needs to see that excitement. This is important. This is important. Um, most of the time, um, ideas come in, and you 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 know there's something there, but it's it's not uncovered yet. You know that feeling? Yeah. It's like I I I can't tell you, but keep pushing in this place and keep pushing, and then and then it kind of pops up. Uh, I, mem- I I still remember when um, the guys came in with an idea for combos snacks, which are pretzels and cheese, and they just walked in and they had this, you know, the strategy was it's kind of healthy because it's pretzels and cheese and it's not like fried potatoes or something. It was, it was strange. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you got it. And they walked in with just with the line, it's what your mom would feed you if your mom were a man. And I'm just like, Done. They're like, do you want to see the scripts? I'm like, no, I don't have to. Just, just go do that. <laughs> Throw away the rest of your work and yeah, only yeah, work on this. We're, we're done. Yes, go, 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 make it. Yeah. Um, you know, on 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 the other hand, you know, I've some, you know, or and I also felt that way when um, uh, Dan and Dave came in with the climate, uh, the climate change idea. You know, this idea where they're going to rename hurricanes after uh, politicians who deny climate change. I'm like, okay. Yeah, go make that. Um, those complete ideas, you know, I, I, that doesn't happen that much. Most of the time, it's like, oh, damn it, there's there's something there. There's something there. Uh, I remember one of my favorite things we've done is a campaign for ragu, and that was like mm, almost push, 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 push. And then the last, you know, uh, the last day before the meeting, that that came out. And still I was like, yeah, I know that's going to be great, but it's it, it, it didn't give me that I know it's great. We sold it, and then we made it great. Yeah. You seem like you're – I mean, in the two examples you gave, it's almost like the thing you're striving for is that just, like, completely elegant, unimpeachable simplicity. You know, like the, you, you mentioned two ideas that you just – you know, in a six-word in a six word sentence, the, the thought is, com- is totally complete and, like, you know, makes your brain ooze out of your ears. Yeah, and you can see it being executed all over the place, yeah. and it's it's – yeah. After, you know, a couple decades in the business, does the process of getting to great work still surprise you in any way? Or do you ever kind of feel like you're in the same meeting over and over again? <laughs> uh, for me, it's always the same. It's always it's over. Yeah. You know, my creative abilities, my my agency's creative abilities, it's it's done. We're spent. We have no more ideas. And then something happens and it's like, oh, we're we're, we're back. That, it, that just happens all, all the time. You know, this fear that it's like, oh, we're not going to nail it this time. All right. So part of the job when you're working with younger creatives is just like the reassurance. Like, guys, I know this isn't a great place to be, but I've been here a bunch yeah. of times. Yeah. And- <laughs> This stuff is horrible. Yeah. It's fantastic. Do more of it. Yeah. Just next time, not as much horrible stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and to that point, I mean, the life of a creative has a lot of rejection. So, like, what, what part of your job is just teaching creatives how to move on quickly from rejection? Um, 
you know, try not to be a dick about it. You know, their ideas suck. They don't suck. Right. Um, and uh, be as clear as possible of, of why you, if, if you're, you know, talking rejection coming from a creative director or something like that, um, be crystal clear why, why you don't like it. You know, um, I, I'm constantly explaining, um, you know, that, you know, at best, you know, one in 10 of your ideas is going to be good. You know, that's just, that's just going to be the process. Um, I, you know, I, I talk with creatives all the time where it's like, this is one of those things where you're just going to have to do more work than the other guy. You know, and you know, everyone says, Oh, we need talent in the agency. We need this. And yeah, you need talented people, but the people, the people who consistently make the great stuff, I, I believe they, they just work harder. They just, they just knock down more doors looking for an idea than, than the other person. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, let's say you have an hour to look at work with a team and they've got, you know, 15 things on the wall and one or two is really good, but you want to be clear about why things aren't working. And so just the proportionality of it is like, we're going to spend so much more time talking about things that aren't working than things that are Mm -hmm. versus do you try to scan work quickly, find something you like and fixate on that? Or like, is that just the reality of like, yeah, if we're going to meet for an hour, we might talk about what's not working for 57 minutes of that. I'll, I'll, I'll look at everything, but like my FedEx client said, I don't have a good poker face. So you kind of know when I'm not into something, It's like, yeah, okay, next. Yeah. (laughs) They probably are like, dude, I don't even want any more explanation. Just let's start talking. Yeah. I used to rip stuff off the wall, you know, cause I like everything on the wall and and just kind of like, and I used to rip stuff off the wall. And I remember like Craig Allen, uh, who has his own place now, he was at Wyden. He was with me at shy at doing doing all the skittle stuff i used to rip stuff on the wall no 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 and he came up afterwards he's like it breaks my heart when you rip something i stayed up till three in the morning doing and you walk on it he goes could could you not rip it off and so i'm like okay i will change for you craig so so now i, I take it and i just put it at the very bottom of the pin board yeah. <laughs> you know is this okay and i i actually started doing that about 10 years ago when craig and i were together yeah. Actually, giving them more work. It's easier to sweep it up than it is to remove yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I go through the piles though, because I, I I know I'm not perfect. I know my first pass at something isn't right. So I'll I'll give it a first glance, and you just search for the ones you know are going to be good, and take everything else down. But I I like at, at my agency, everyone knows do not throw anything out because right. I'll go back in and I'll look at I'll go look at the bottom feeder stuff, and I'm like, oh, I was wrong about this. I didn't see something here. Yeah, and you're moving quick, and maybe in the maybe you're looking at work for one client, but your mind. Is is still on the previous meeting that you had and you're not dialed in but like um it, it is the really interesting thing to me is you know as a young creative you walk in and go like man i really hope jerry likes my ideas but you don't consider the fact that jerry's walking in that meeting and even after doing this for a couple decades you're thinking to yourself like man i hope i find the idea in here you know like yeah. that, that pressure is never that, that pressure never goes away just because you've made a lot of great work yeah and i just I learned from experience you know um you know i remember showing some e-trade stuff to rich silverstein and he hated it he told me he told me i hate that idea and i'm like well i love it he's like well well i hate it and i go I, and i explained to him why i loved it and he kind of realized that i had thought it through he's like okay fine if you if you want you can go show it to the client um and i went and i sold it He's like, still doesn't make it good just because you sold it to a client. I'm like, okay, true. And we made it, and, and it was. He's like, yeah, okay, you know. But he let me do it. You know, he let yeah. me give him an argument of why I thought it was great against his judgment, and uh, it it won a gold lion. And back back then, Can would come to the agency and present the agency the gold lion, and it was this big 
ta-da, you know, to-do thing. Whatever. It was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I still remember, like, holding the line at Rich Silverstein coming up and going, I still think the idea sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I tell that story a lot, especially to people uh, who are showing work to me, saying, if, if I'm killing something um, and you really have heart for it, then fight for it, you know? Explain to me why. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that helps knock my head into other places, too. Do you think it's harder to find young creatives who are willing to speak truth to power, sometimes at the risk of being brash, versus creatives who are like, well, this is Jerry. Jerry said it's not good. It must not be good. And so they're sort of nodding nodding yes, even though you know they have something on their mind. Like Most most won't do it. Right. Most don't don't fight. And I, and, I, and I tell them over and over again. Yeah. Then you have the people who are just like... It's, Constantly, you know, yeah. and it's like you got to you have to back off a little bit. I've I heard your argument, and the idea still sucks. It's not yeah. going anywhere. It's hard to strike that balance when you're starting out. Yeah, it is. Um, when you see yourself in a young creative, either good or bad, what is it that you're seeing? Is it seeing the the petulant child? Uh, I I I like a pain in the ass. I I like. Um, people with attitude but most of the creatives that that I really like really love working with are ones that where I don't see me in them I tell a lot of you know new people who come to Barton don't don't try to write like me because I can see it coming in they, they they're start they start crafting scripts and ideas and stuff like that that and I can tell they that they're, they're trying to do what what I'm kind of known for, and that's not why they were hired. They, they, they're, and I, and I'm like, don't, don't try to write like that. Write like, write like you. So, so, um, most people I like is when I can't figure out how they got to that idea. I, I love those types of people, um, but I do, I, I, I do like a pain in the ass, and it, and it, and it causes me trouble because pain, pain, pains in the ass are pains in the ass, and now I'm the one who has to deal with the pain in the ass, and I can right. sit and laugh, and I'm like, oh, now I know kind of what Lee Cloud was talking about, you know, right. and I roll my eyes, but I don't know, the troublemakers, uh, they, they, they get stuff done, they bring in energy, you know. Yeah, a wallflower. It's very difficult to teach a wallflower um, how to be courageous and fight for an idea. You can work with a pain in the ass. Yeah. You can you can teach a pain in the ass how to back it off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's always easier to back off than to than to to push somebody forward, I yeah. think. Okay, if the fate of humanity relied on you creating one 30-second commercial <laughs> that made everybody laugh their asses off, what director do you call? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um hmm. Probably um, Harold Einstein. Hmm. You know my old my old writing partner, who's who's now a director. Yeah, yeah. There's the fam- familiarity there. Yeah, yeah. And he's just awesome. And he's awesome. And he he also believes that maybe this is where I learned it from that it's the the idea isn't done when it's sold. It's 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 every step of the process to get it better, 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 better. Yeah. You know, and then there's you know there's there's like the trio of uh, Spike Jones, Tom Coons, and Brian Buckley. You know, that, that's a good good backup. But I I, w- I would go with Harold. Yeah. Um, sometimes failure sets us up for later success. Do you have a favorite failure? Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. You know, we we've had some 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 pretty good failures. Uh, 
you know, we believe in complete honesty and we went into a, a pitch uh, and the idea was to get celebrities people thought were uh, dead but weren't um, and compare that to the store that people thought were dead but isn't. Um, and the meeting stopped right there and the CEO basically said, you know, get out. Yeah. Uh, there could have been a better way to, <laughs> to, to do that, you know? A really cool thing uh, last year uh, after the Trump administration pulled 90% of the marketing budget for the Affordable Care Act, you created the Coverage Coalition, um, which essentially called on our industry to create ads and donate free media to get the word out about the enrollment deadline. Um, when you decide to do something like that, does any concern or thought go through your mind about how clients who, regardless of their own personal political beliefs, just want to be as far away from politics as possible might react? Or like, is that the whole point of opening your own company is that you don't have to ask that permission? Um, I don't have to ask permission and I don't ask permission. Owning, owning your own company, you get to do what you want to do. Um, but I, I do let clients know what I'm, what I'm going to be doing if it, if it moves into politics and stuff and uh, give them the option if they want to take their, their, uh, their logos off of our website or something like that. So when people, you know, react and go to the BFG website that they don't then just go and attack like one of my clients. And so I, I've never not done anything I've, I've thought was important, but I do let clients know that I am doing it. And we can, you know, like I said, you know, take them off our website for a while. You've been a staunch advocate for awarding work at all shows that go beyond kind of cultural resonance or heart warmth and, and actually sell things. Um, do jurors place too much importance on quote unquote impressions and not enough on sales. Like you've, you've had, I think this position, you've brought it up in different articles and it shouldn't be controversial. And yet it, it is, it is for some reason. I, uh, took my, uh, my little Caesars CMO to the one show last year, um, because they were, uh, doing a tribute, uh, to the founder who had just passed away. Um, Mr. Illich and, uh, we sat through the whole thing, and he went on stage and just showed fantastic Little Caesar stuff. Uh, but he sat through the whole show. He had never been to an award show before. And at the at the end of the show, he came up to me, and he, and he said, um, do you guys reward anything that actually sells something? And I was like, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know. I think... Obviously, you know you can you can go back and if you go back and look at some award show annuals and stuff like that, there are there are trends that come and go. Oh, that's that's popular now and that's not popular. Um, and right now, for the past couple of years, it's it's social good, and um, you still need a fantastic idea, um, uh, but. You know, social anything that that you know is is you can include in whatever in, in those words social good seems seems to be winning right now and um, uh, hard sell you know you know this chicken is five ninety nine doesn't seem to do uh, very well at all um, and that's that's too bad that's too bad right um, you've been in advertising for. 25, 25 years, maybe 92, 26, let's say 26 (laughs) years in, 
Can you explain what an impression is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's an, this is what an impression is. There is an off chance that maybe somebody was in the room or in the space where that piece of communication was going on. Hmm. Okay. Now they could be. No wonder. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a liberal measurement. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's you know, it was yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, these days, at least in the, the award shows that I judge, I mean, impressions just laughed laughed out of the room. I yeah. mean, just just don't even put them on there. Right. You know. Uh, what is the most horrific reaction you've ever heard in a client meeting? It was hard. It was hard to sell Skittles. It took about nine months. Because um, we were going from this kind of Disney, you know, Skittles falling from the sky to um, not that. Um, and I, I remember pitching an idea once, and somebody who worked on the Skittles team at Mars said the the rainbow uh, used to be a symbol of color and joy, and you have uh, turned it into an instrument of death. Which I did, <laughs> but I, that was—I mean, I remember that comment. <laughs> I mean, that that uh, bit of feedback might have to wind up on your epitaph at <laughs> might, some point. Yeah. Your great claim to fame. I got to tell you, I sold a lot of candy. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Graff, thanks for what you do for creativity in our industry, man. Thanks uh, for having I've me. I've loved your work for a long time. Great googly moogly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much to Jerry Graff. Thank you to The One Club. Thank you to JSM Music and Jeff Fiorello for producing this podcast. If you like the pod, subscribe, rate it, share it with a friend, and we'll talk again soon. Peace. Peace.